Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today, the UK to give Ukraine depleted uranium shells. So a British official has confirmed that the UK will be providing Ukraine with depleted uranium rounds to be used with the British-made Challenger 2 tanks, despite warnings from Russia that it would consider the use of the toxic ammunition the same as a dirty bomb. So this is Annabelle Goldie. She is the British Deputy Defense Minister. She said, quote, alongside our granting of a squadron of Challenger 2 main battle tanks to Ukraine, we will be providing ammunition, including armor-piercing rounds, which contain depleted uranium. Such rounds are highly effective in defeating modern tanks and armored vehicles, end quote. So depleted uranium is radioactive, and it is a byproduct of producing enriched uranium, and it's extremely dense, which makes it a good Good to use as a armor-piercing round. But because it's radioactive, depleted uranium causes cancer and birth defects. And, you know, the biggest example is in Iraq, where U.S. forces used an enormous number of the controversial munitions during the Gulf War and during the 2003 invasion. And after that, there was reports of U.S. forces using it during uh, in the fight against ISIS around 2017. And birth defects are still common in the Iraqi city of Fallujah to this day, and likely in other places in Iraq. I just know Fallujah because there's a hospital there that publicizes all of these birth defects, and it's really horrible. You, you see pictures of babies that just don't have a chance of surviving, and they're, they're, they die quickly after, shortly after they're, they're born uh, because of, you know, this city was just destroyed by the U.S. and using these toxic these toxic, uh, this toxic ammunition. So responding to the news, Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu warned that sending Ukraine depleted uranium rounds brings the world closer to a nuclear collision, and he warned that Moscow will respond. Uh, Putin, the Russian president, he also vowed a response. He said, quote, if all this happens, Russia will have to respond accordingly given that the West collectively is already beginning to use weapons with a nuclear component, end quote. It's definitely concerning that Russia is saying they're going to, you know, consider this the use of a dirty bomb. What does that mean? How are they going to respond? And these shells, these rounds could already be in Ukraine because the U.S. has sent them the Bradley fighting vehicles, and these fighting vehicles can be equipped with depleted uranium that's what has earned them the nickname Tank Killers when the White House was asked if they were going to be sent there with these rounds, with the depleted uranium. The White House refused to say. Uh, they could also be included with the German-made Leopard tanks, I believe, and in the future when the U.S. sends their Abrams tanks. So, again, uh, you know, just very concerning. And this, these are weapons that we know, you know, cause these cancers and, and birth defects. It's just bad news all around here especially, you know, who knows how Moscow is going to respond. All right, the next one here, more controversial weapons. Uh, four top Republicans urged President Biden to send cluster bombs to Ukraine. So four leading Republicans in Congress have sent a letter to President Biden urging him to provide Kiev 
with cluster bombs and these munitions endanger civilians by spreading small bomblets over large areas. And due to the harm that they cause civilians, cluster bombs have been banned by over 100 countries under the 2008 Convention on Cluster Bombs. But Russia, Ukraine, and the U.S., none of them are signatories to this treaty. So this letter to Biden was sent uh, by you know the top four Republicans, Representative Michael McCall, the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Representative Mike Rogers, the House, uh, the chair of the House Armed Services Committee, and then over in the Senate, Roger Wicker, who is the ranking member on the Senate Armed Services Committee, and then Jim Reich, who is the ranking member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So the top, you know, foreign policy Republicans in Congress. Ukraine has been asking the U.S. for a while now to send cluster bombs, specifically the MK-20, which is an air-delivered cluster bomb, and a 155-millimeter artillery cluster shell. Both Ukrainian and Russian forces have used cluster munitions during this conflict, and Kiev had used them years earlier in the Donbass War against populated areas of Donetsk in 2014. Uh, just an example of how, you know, there has been a war going on in eastern Ukraine since then. In the letter, the Republican lawmakers urged Biden to send cluster munitions, including the dual purpose improved conventional munitions. And this is a type of cluster bomb that has several types of variants. Uh, it can be used as 155 millimeter rounds, also as the GMLRS rockets. And that's what Ukraine has been using with the HIMARS rocket launch systems that has a range of about 50 miles. And this cluster munition could also be used as an ATASM, which is, these are missiles that have a range of up to 190 miles that the U.S. hasn't given Ukraine yet, but Ukraine has been asking for them. And it's something, you know, these Republicans, especially McCall, has really been urging Biden to give Ukraine so they can start hitting more targets in Crimea. So according to the lawmakers, the U.S. has 3 million rounds uh, available of these cluster bombs, of these cluster munitions. And they argue that sending the widely banned munition could alleviate pressure on other U.S. stockpiles. They acknowledge the uh, risk to non-combatants that are associated with the cluster bombs, but they say the risk to civilians pales in comparison to the threat posed by Russia. Um, so, you know, so far, I haven't seen any sign that the Biden administration is willing to send the cluster bombs just because it, it would be bad PR. But at the same time, you know, they are deple really depleting their stockpiles of weapons. And if they did really do have three millions of these, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up sending them. And, you know, there's always a chance, too, that they're sending things that we don't know about. Um, so that's always a possibility. Um, but again, with the situation with the ammunition, uh, the shortage that they're saying that Ukraine's using it as an un at an unsustainable rate, I wouldn't be surprised if they just go ahead and give them these. Uh, all right, the next one here, the Pentagon speeds up plans to get Abrams tanks to Ukraine. So U.S. officials told the Associated Press that, so the original plan, the U.S. was going to buy these Abrams tanks for Ukraine, and they weren't going to be delivered for a few years. They were going to buy them 31 new M1A2 Abrams tanks. But the new plan is to send Ukraine the older model, the M1A1, that can be pulled from U.S. Army stockpiles. They still need to re be refurbished, and it's still going to take a while for them to be delivered. These officials are saying it could be delivered within eight 
to 12 months, but that is shorter than the few years that making them uh, would take. But the new plan, it still does not get these tanks into Ukraine's hands before the spring, when the U.S. is hoping Ukraine will launch a counteroffensive against Russian forces. So Ukrainian troops have been training on the German-made Leopard tank, but it's not clear when they will start training on the Abrams. Uh, According to Poland, the Leopard tanks have already started arriving in Ukraine. Poland said that they delivered four to Ukraine, um, but Germany has been struggling to put together more than a few dozen tanks for Kiev, so they're not going to get that many of of these Western-made tanks uh, before uh, this you know, in, in the next few months, which which is said to be, you know, it's going to be very pivotal, pivotal few months in the war. And so Biden announced in January, you know, when he announced that the U.S. was going to be sending them these Abrams tanks, it was right after Pen- a few Pentagon officials said it was basically impractical, saying, you know, there there's too much involved with the maintenance. And they, they said the Leopards would be better because there's all the European countries are armed with them and they have spare parts and Things like that. Uh, But Biden's decision really to send these Abrams was made to convince Olaf Scholz, the German chancellor, to send his leopards and to sign off on the export of the German made tanks from other countries. He didn't want to go at it without the U.S. uh, doing so as well. And Scholz, you know, he previously ruled out sending Ukraine tanks. And this was back in September 2022. He was very adamantly against giving them tanks. And his reasoning was that he is trying to prevent a direct war between NATO and Russia. But, you know, that's changed. They're not as concerned about escalation and they continue to ramp up support. All right. The next one here, this is from Kyle Anzalone over at the Libertarian Institute. Uh, It's kind of a similar story, but it's the Patriot missile defense systems that Ukrainian soldiers have been training on inside the United States. And the Pentagon said that 65 Ukrainian soldiers completed their training on uh, these air defense systems early. And now they're going to send the Patriots ahead of schedule as well as the Abrams tanks. So on Tuesday, Brigadier General Shane Morgan, he's the commander at Fort Sill, which I think is in Oklahoma, where these Ukrainian troops have been training. And he said that the soldiers, you know, picked it up pretty quickly. He said, quote, our assessment is that the Ukrainian soldiers are impressive and absolutely a quick study. Due to their extensive air defense knowledge and experience in a combat zone, it was easier, though never easy, for them to grasp the Patriot system operations and maintenance concepts, end quote. So it looks like uh, they're going to be getting those Patriots sooner than expected, but still not clear. They didn't say when they will arrive. I know one that they're sending is from U.S. military stockpile, so it's already made. You know, it's not like they have to build it. Um, so I could get there pretty quick if they did when they decide to send it. All right, the next one here. So Putin and she discussed the Chinese peace proposal. So Putin said during a meeting with the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, in Moscow on Tuesday that a 12-point peace plan put forward by Beijing could be the basis for a peaceful settlement in Ukraine. He said, quote, we believe in many of the points on the peace plan put forward by China, end quote. And China's proposal calls for the cessation of hostilities and for both sides to resume peace talks. It doesn't get into specifics about territory or referendums. Uh, It says all sides must respect, you know, each other's territorial integrity. 
Uh, but Putin expressed doubt that Kiev or its Western backers were ready for negotiations, saying that the Chinese proposal could be used as a foundation when the West and Kiev are ready for it. So the Biden administration, of course, has come out strongly against China's mediation efforts as the White House has come out against a ceasefire. But Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, he's open to discussing the issues with China, and she is expected to call him following his trip to Moscow, which wraps up on Wednesday. Zelensky said on Tuesday that he has asked Beijing for talks on a peace formula for Ukraine. So he's still uh, you know, saying that he wants to talk about this. And of course, Zelensky has also put, o- put forward his own peace proposal, which calls for the withdrawal of Russian troops and for war crimes tribunals. Zelensky said, quote, we offered China to become a partner in the implementation of the peace formula. We passed over our formula across all channels. We invite you to dialogue. We are waiting for your answer, end quote. So it looks like he's eager to talk. You know, of course, he's going to try to get China to take his side more so. But I think she is looking to play the mediator here. So we'll see how this all plays out. So after holding hours of talks on Tuesday, Putin and Xi put out a joint statement that said China believes Russia is ready to restart peace talks. The statement said, quote, the Chinese side positively assesses the willingness of the Russian side to make efforts to restart peace talks as soon as possible, end quote. The statement also said that Russia welcomes, quote, China's readiness to play a positive role in a political diplomatic settlement of the Ukrainian crisis and the constructive ideas set forth in the document drawn up by the Chinese side, end quote. And Blinken on Monday doubled down on the Biden administration's opposition to the ceasefire, saying that the world must not be fooled by China's efforts, continuing, you know, the U.S., this has been happening throughout the war, that the U.S. has been discouraging peace talks and, you know, the idea of pausing the fighting. Um, So, yeah, we'll see how this all shakes out. It seems like Zelensky wants to keep you know, the door open to Chinese investments in Ukraine follow after the war. Although I'm sure the U.S. and, uh, you know, isn't going to let that happen. But he wants to keep that avenue open, it seems like. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. So the next one here, this is from the South China Morning Post. And it's about the Putin-Xi meeting. And it gets into more of the um, trade aspects of it. The two leaders have vowed to significantly increase trade between China and Russia. Chinese President Xi Jinping and Putin pledged on Tuesday to significantly increase trade between their two countries by 2030, and Putin threw his weight behind wider globalization of the yuan, a move aimed at weakening the power of the U.S. dollar. So that's the yuan, the Chinese currency. Putin said, quote, we are for the use of the Chinese yuan in settlements between Russian, Russia and Asian countries, Africa, Latin America. This practice should be further encouraged, end quote. So she and Putin held a second round of talks on Tuesday. They discussed, you know, the Ukraine issue and economic issues, including energy resources and information technology. They also signed a joint statement pledging cooperation through 2030. Additionally, she invited Putin to China for this year's Belt and Road Forum. Russia and China have long decried the inordinate strength of the U.S. dollar, the de facto global currency, and the leverage it gives Washington to flex its muscles well beyond the confines of finance. So this is a big aspect of everything, you know, kind of the Russia-China moving together and uniting on this 
de-dollarization. The big thing is if they get Saudi Arabia on board. So far, you know, the Saudis signed that deal with Iran that was brokered by China. They've been moving a lot closer to China. The deal is, is that the Saudis trade their oil with the U.S. dollar. And the U.S. dollar uh, is the world's reserve currency because of that, because it's, you know, the, the petrodollar. That's what it's backed by, you know. So if that is threatened, that can really... Uh, that could really affect the U.S. So I think they're going to try to do things to stop that. Um, but we'll. But you know, it's U.S. policies that push China and Russia and Iran closer together. You know, it's they're they're facing similar sanctions and pressure from the West. So this is all natural, a natural reaction to that. And then over in Washington, you know, they they scratch their heads about this. Um, so it's just another uh, aspect of this whole whole. Uh, war that's going on and just the global tensions all right the next one here russia says that it downed ukrainian drones in northern crimea so russian authorities said that ukrainian drones were downed over northern crimea on monday night while ukraine's military intelligence claimed that the attacks destroyed russian calibre uh, cruise missiles so Ukraine's military intelligence said in a statement, quote, the mysterious series of blasts continue the process of Russia's demilitarization and prepares the Ukrainian peninsula of Crimea for deoccupation, end quote. So that when it comes to these attacks in Crimea, Ukraine does not officially take credit. And you see there they call it mysterious blasts. But I mean, uh it just sounds like, you know, they're stopping short of taking formal responsibility, I guess. But it's very clear that Ukraine is behind this. And local authorities in Crimea, they denied that it hit uh, missiles. They said that the attacks hit civilian areas, that all the drones targeted civilian facilities and some were shot and they were shot down. Um, so that's their side of the story. And Ukrainian officials, of course, have been vowing to retake the Crimean Peninsula which has been under Russian control since 2014, even though the Pentagon does not think it's a realistic goal and the people of Crimea are happy that they are part of the Russian Federation. That's just the reality of the situation there. And despite the Pentagon's view on Crimea and the risk of escalation, Biden administration officials have expressed that they support Ukrainian attacks on the peninsula. And this attack just came after... You know, that incident with the U.S. MQ-9 Reaper drone that was downed in the Black Sea near Crimea. It was intercepted by Russian fighters. Russian officials claimed that the MQ-9 was gathering targeting data for Kiev. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but we do know that the U.S. gives Ukraine targeting data. So it's definitely possible that that's what that drone was doing, even though the U.S. tried to portray it as a, you know, standard routine flight. Uh, but these attacks on Crimea, you know, Putin has shown a willingness to really escalate the war over these when he started bombing the infrastructure after the truck bombing of the Kerch Bridge, which connects Crimea to Russia. Um, all right, the next one here, Taiwan confirms that their president will stop in the U.S. next week. So Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen will visit the U.S. on her way to Central America. But Taiwan did not say if she will hold talks with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. So according to media reports, Taiwan convinced McCarthy to meet with Tsai in California instead of in Taipei over concerns that his trip would provoke more Chinese military pressure. As we know, when Nancy Pelosi went over there in August 2022, when she was still House Speaker, 
it sparked the largest ever Chinese military drills. So Taiwanese officials say that Tsai's delegation will leave Taipei on March 29th, and she will stop in California and New York before heading to Belize and Guatemala. She has made uh, similar visits to the U.S. most recently in 2019. So despite the precedent, Tsai's trip still risks provoking a response from Beijing, as U.S.-China relations are at their lowest point in decades due largely to tensions over Taiwan. And I, I would say a reaction is more likely if Tsai does meet with McCarthy. And for his part, McCarthy has previously said that he does plan to meet with Tsai when she is in the U.S. And I guess her team is not uh, officially confirming that or really giving an itinerary for her time in the U.S. That's kind of how they do these trips. You know, they avoid Washington. Um, they try to keep it a little more informal so they don't make China too angry. Um, and, McCar and McCarthy, too, he still doesn't rule out eventually making a trip to Taiwan. So the Biden administration has warned China against a harsh reaction to Tsai's trip, citing the precedent of previous visits. A Biden administration official said, quote, we see no reason for Beijing to turn this transit again, which is consistent with longstanding U.S. policy into anything other than what it is, end quote. But again, tensions are at an all time high over Taiwan between the U.S. and China. Beijing has made clear that it opposes Tsai's plans to visit the U.S., Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin said on Tuesday, quote, we strongly oppose any form of official interaction between the U.S. and Taiwan, strongly oppose any U.S. visit by the leader of Taiwan authorities, regardless of the rationale or pretext, end quote. All right, the next one here, uh, this is from Kyle Anzalone over at the Libertarian Institute. 43,000 Somalis starved to death in 2022. So the, the UN estimates that 43,000 Somalis starved to death last year. And of course, you know, the most vulnerable die in these situations. At least half of those who died are said to have been children under the age of five. And the Horn of Africa, the, sorry, the Somalia is suffering from a drought as well as, you know, this war that's going on, which includes a U.S. military campaign targeting the insurgent group. Al-Shabaab. So whenever you combine war with drought, war with food shortages, it leads to famine, it leads to starvation. Um, and we know the, the Somali government that the U.S. backs, they launched a major air, uh, ground campaign against Al-Shabaab last year. Al-Shabaab has stepped up its attacks, you know, car bombings and things like that. Uh, so it's just a really bad situation for the people in Somalia. And the U.S. has been ramping up you know, it's air, it's air campaign there. Although so far in this month of March, I have not seen any U.S. airstrikes in Somalia. There's about three a month for the last few months. But again, AFRICOM is not reporting all of them. There's also CIA drone strikes. So there could be more happening than we're aware of. But I haven't seen AFRICOM claim any in March yet. All right, the last one here. This is from The Guardian. Multiple civilian deaths linked to 2016-2017 British airstrikes against ISIS in Mosul. So multiple airstrikes that killed civilians during the campaign against the Islamic State in Iraq are probably linked to, to UK forces, despite longstanding claims that British weapons did not harm a single non-combatant there. This is uh, an investigation that The Guardian conducted. 
Britain's government and military have for years stood by the claim that in terms of protecting ordinary Iraqis, the UK fought a perfect war against uh, ISIS in Iraq. A perfect war, they say. But the US and other allies in that coalition against that fought this war against ISIS have admitted to killing hundreds of civilians. And the US was forced to admit this because of air wars. Uh, this monitoring group, this watchdog, they, the Guardian actually did this investigation with, and they found thousands of civilian deaths, and, and the Pentagon admitted to a few hundred. And then the New York Times actually released a report uh, the cat about all these civilian casualties. I mean, a ton of them. They were destroying these cities, Mosul and Raqqa and Syria, when they were uh, bombing ISIS. Um, so the Guardian, in an investigation with Air Wars, has has now identified six strikes in the Iraqi city of Mosul that killed civilians and appear to have been carried out by British forces in 2016 and 2017. Victims of two suspected British airstrikes have described for the first time the deaths and injuries of children, parents, brothers, and sisters in missile attacks that devastated their families. So... Uh, if you want to go read more, it's pretty detailed, this report uh, over at The Guardian. Uh, but that is it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. One from Ray McGovern, the epitaph of a cakewalk in Iraq case study. Ted Snyder, Reapers and Red Lines, downing of an American drone. We have one from Thomas Knapp, the Iraq war anniversary. Never back down on the only important fact. One from Bradley Devlin, the Ukraine weapons drain. That's over at the American Conservative. And then our viewpoint, Biden's looming trap in Ukraine by George Beebe over at Responsible Statecraft. Uh, but that's everything for today. You could always support us, antiwar.com slash donate. Like and subscribe to the show on YouTube. Tell your friends about it. Share it around. Leave reviews where you listen to podcasts. All that stuff. But I'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.